Welcome to the Talk of Sykeston. I'm Glenn Cantrell. Great to have you with us this weekend. And uh, this weekend, we're going to talk politics. Uh, my goodness, the world that we live in right now seems to have gone haywire. And uh, we're going to talk all about it with Mike Jensen. We're all very familiar with uh, Mike. And, of course, now uh, you can follow his uh, columns online as he's on Facebook. Mike, thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. How's everything going with you? Well, I got to tell you, Mike, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a prevailing thought these days, Glenn. Oh, it is so crazy. And, and, and you know, I, I was thinking about how do I want to start this with you. And honestly, Mike, the only way that I know how to start this, because of your years of experience in news and politics, is have you ever seen anything like this before? Nothing to compare. Nothing at all. I... Uh, you know, I've kind of had a passion for politics most of my life, actually. You go back really to the election of 1964. I was of the age, wasn't quite voting yet, but I was of the age where I started paying attention. And, you know, we've seen a lot of really, really interesting elections through the years. I mean, I can you can cite examples every election's interesting for a lot of standpoints but the uh you know with the uh you know with the hanging chads in 2000 with uh al gore and george bush i mean that was that was kind of interesting but that was kind of after the fact but right now we are in the middle of uh uncharted territory i mean we really are there's just no way to get around it uh uh the stakes are extremely high uh for for both parties i I tend to think the uh, the stakes for the Democratic Party are are much much higher. I think if uh, if Donald Trump is elected for four more years, I think the Democratic Party as we know it will will cease to exist uh, for the most part. But no, there's there's uh, y- you know we're, we've used it during this pandemic. We use the word normal a lot. But there's nothing, absolutely nothing normal about this election. It, it, there really isn't. And, you know, I, I mean, I've covered some stuff, too, over the years and, and watched you know, some really interesting local races and state races. But my gosh, Mike, I've just not encountered anything like this. And I'm kind of like you. I'm, I'm enthralled with politics. I, I find it very interesting. And, and I've seen some documentaries on, uh, you know, different elections and and, you know, I'm, I just find the whole process interesting in how they get someone elected. But I, the last election, I mean, I'm just being honest, and, and I'm pretty conservative. You know, I don't always vote Republican, but I'm pretty conservative. The last election, I voted for everyone else and saved the president for last and stood there for a while thinking about the everything and finally made my, my vote. I honestly, Mike, have no clue what I'm going to do this year. Well, you, you know, you, you really have to have to look forward uh, or, or look back, really, to kind of look forward. Look at what we've been through lately. You know, we've started off in the past six, eight, nine months with uh, with the Mueller report, which proved to be kind of a fiasco, uh, with impeachment, which proved to be a disaster, to tell you the truth, um, uh, followed by the pandemic, which, you know, like it or not, a lot of the pandemic ended up turning political. Uh, Absolutely. Anytime you shut down the economy, you're going to uh, uh, to harm the current administration. Uh, and then when we seem to be kind of seeing daylight at the end of the pandemic, uh, we are now going through, uh, uh, through riots and looting, protests, uh, over a tragic and senseless death, no question about it. But uh, now we're occupying cities. We're tearing down historic statues, uh, 
and, and keep in mind, this is June. We can only imagine what July, August, September, and October <laughs> will bring. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyone who is a student of history needs to sit back right now and pay attention to what is going on, because this will go down in the books as uh, as one of the most contentious, one of the most unusual and volatile uh, presidential elections in history. Oh, absolutely. And you know, my challenge, Mike, isn't that Trump's not a good or effective president. I, that's not my challenge at all. My challenge with President Trump is as a person. That's my challenge with President Trump, his tweets and I mean, I like the fact that he's so open, but at the same time, I'm not happy with how some of the things that come out of his mouth. So then when I look across the aisle, and I see the Democrats. Now, listen, I, I, for the rest of my life, I do not want to hear one Democrat or one liberal talk to me about diversity and how we need to be, by, need to be more diverse. They have the most diverse group of candidates in the history of the presidential election, and they still chose an old white guy. <laughs> well, you know, the point you make on President Trump is I think it's kind of a universal one. Uh, you know, I, I count myself as a uh, as a pretty strong supporter, uh, but I, I have I have written, I have said publicly and privately, I cringe I cringe a lot of times when I hear him speak, because uh, what comes out of his mouth quite often is just well, it runs against my value system, and and it runs against the value system I think of a lot of people, but if we can isolate that uh, New York arrogance and that bluster and that ego. And look at policies; uh, it, it becomes a little bit easier to uh, to fall down on one side or the other. Uh, but do you feel? You, you know, I, I mean, do you we, feel? We talk the, about diversity a lot. Yeah, and diversity is an important ingredient, no doubt about it. But but we have fallen into the trap of thinking that diversity is, is strictly a racial issue, and and it's not. It's diversity of thought. Uh, and, and, uh, and a lot of times the Democratic Party, although they do have obviously uh, racial diversity and gender diversity, uh, but, but they lack any diversity whatsoever in terms of their thought process or the policies. policies. They march in lockstep. And, uh, uh, and that's not necessarily the case with the Republican Party. There's pushback from time to time. We're seeing pushback right now, as oh, a matter yeah. of fact. So if, uh, if you can ignore the, the brashness of uh, of Donald J. Trump and focus on the policies, uh, as I said, for me at least, uh, perhaps not for the listeners, but for me at least, uh, the decision becomes a lot easier. But do you think, because I, 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 gosh, Mike, I just can't believe that the Democrats think that Joe Biden is the number one choice to beat Donald Trump out of all of that they had. And there were a couple of candidates, I got to tell you, that I kind of liked. You know, they didn't get a whole lot of time on screen or, uh, you know, a lot of time nationally. I, but they were not bad. But I just can't believe the Democrats think Joe Biden is the number one choice. You, you know, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, uh, I have said this before, and I, and I, I, I will be proven wrong. Don't give me, uh, don't misunderstand. I am less to convince sitting here today that Joe Biden will be the nominee of the Democratic Party. Uh, Joe Biden has issues. Uh, God bless him. He's a good man. He's, he's served honorably uh, uh, in, in Congress uh, for uh, almost 40 years. Uh, I mean, he's a, he's a strong family man. I think he has some sincere values. But uh, at 77 years old, 
which is not necessarily too old, but at that, I, he is, uh, uh, I, I mean, I think he obviously suffers with some diminished capacities. Uh, and that doesn't mean that he's flawed. It just means that the rigors of, of being the president of the United States, the, uh, you know, those 18 and 20 hour days where you have to be focused the entire time, uh, I, I don't think Joe Biden, quite frankly, is capable of that. And, and I agree with you. If, if you looked at the field, uh, at the Democratic field early on, uh, yeah, they had a lot of very impressive candidates. Uh, uh, and, and, and those people are still impressive today. But they were extremely impressive on that stage. But uh, one by one, uh, uh, for whatever reason, uh, it kind of came down by default uh, at the very end, uh, to Joe Biden. It, you know, would it boil down to Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden? I think most of the Democratic Party, and I agree most of the United States, would agree that uh, Bernie Sanders was a bit too uh, too progressive for our taste right now. And, and so, I, I, you know, kind of by default, uh, they settled on Joe Biden. And, uh, and I, in a lot of ways, I think the pandemic has saved his candidacy because it's allowed him time to stay out of the spotlight uh, with with some of the uh, uh, some of the things that comes out of his mouth. Quite frankly, and I say that with due respect, uh, the, you know, the pandemic has allowed him to kind of lay low, and I think that's been to his advantage because I think the more he gets on the stage, uh, the more the American people get an opportunity to see him. I think the less likely his chances are. Do you think that the time between the last election and then this one? hurt Bernie and the fact that people were able to really listen to his rhetoric and, and what he his ideals, and that kind of took them away from him? Because, I mean, honestly, with all due respect to Hillary Clinton, what we know now, he probably should have won the nomination last time. Oh, definitely so. Definitely so. And, and yes, I would agree with you. I think, uh, I, I think the more time that the American people uh, have an opportunity to uh, focus on the policies uh, that Bernie Sanders was advocating... Uh, and if you started doing the math to uh, uh, to all of the free stuff from health care to college to to student loan for forgiveness to uh, uh, you know to expansions of all kinds of social programs, I think once you know the American people took pencil to paper and started uh, seeing what that cost would be, uh, Bernie was Bernie was much less acceptable as a candidate. Uh, you, you know you know many years ago uh, who was it Gene McCarthy. Uh, was a uh, was a young liberal uh, candidate, and the young people across the nation. Uh, this was back in the '60s, I guess. Uh, just flocked to his side. Uh, he was the anti-war candidate. Uh, uh, I mean, he 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 had uh, charisma, uh, and and Bernie was kind of fell into that field. The the problem is when you started uh, focusing on on Bernie's policies, and especially the cost of those policies. Uh, he just became a lot less attractive. We're talking with Mike Jensen today, and we're talking politics. And, Mike, one of the things, you know, as you look at politics and you watch both sides of the aisles, you know, one of the things that really just bothers me to no end is the hypocrisy that takes place in both the Republican and Democrat parties. When something happens to, let's say, a president in one party or congressman, you know, a congressman or a senator or whatever, the other party is quick to jump on that and to uh, cry foul. When the shoe's on the other foot, uh, we see the same thing happen. And it just bothers me to no end when I see 
that taking place in politics without, you know, without them just being honest, saying, you know what, that is wrong, we messed up, let's, let's be better. Yeah, I, I, I think we call that hypocrisy. Uh, and it is endemic in the world of politics. Uh, y- you know, I, I also, I, I can't talk about politics without talking about the role of the media. Uh, I've, I was a member of the media for 43 years, newspaper side of it is. Uh, but the national media, uh, especially the television networks, but also, you know, increasingly social media, uh, are clearly, clearly carrying a bias agenda. Uh, a highly prejudiced agenda, and and it's it's abundantly clear, and it's not just clear to to we conservatives; it's clear to everyone. Uh, you, you know, their bias is just front and center, and and if you talk in terms of politics, especially in 2020, uh, that is part of the equation that, quite frankly, I don't think we've ever seen before. Now, uh, the large metropolitan newspapers, New York Times, Washington Post, have always been uh, along the liberal side. Uh, the television networks uh, uh, to some extent. But what we are seeing right now, uh, uh, especially with the CNNs and the MSNBCs, are uh, just propaganda on the part of the Democratic Party. Uh, and, and it kind of plays into the same theme of the hypocrisy uh, that is part of politics. It is also uh, an abundantly clear part of the media landscape today. And uh, and that in the long term, much beyond 2020, that in the long term is, uh, is dangerous. It's dangerous to our, uh, to our democracy, uh, to our democratic republic. Uh, it's, it's dangerous on the topic of uh, First Amendment and free speech. Uh, and and uh, as abnormal <laughs> as the po- political scene is right now, uh, it almost doesn't compare to the abnormality of the national media. You know, it's interesting, Mike. There's a great movie out there, excuse me, with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep, and I can't think of the name of the movie, but it's about the, I think, the Washington Post and uh, uh, information that they were going to print. I think about Vietnam, if memory serves me right, about this movie. And I don't know, I don't know if you've seen that movie or not. Um, but it's a great movie, and it's really a, uh, just showcases how the media is sort of the watchdog of of the government and 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 things of that nature. But at this point, who who's watching the watchdog? Who is checking the facts of those uh, you know newspapers or TV stations or, or news channels that are putting out all this information? Well, the quick answer to that is no one. Uh, you, you know, we've reached a, a place in public debate and in our society where we have to have fact checkers for the fact checkers. It's it's like we're you know we're investigating the investigators again as as we're doing in the world of politics. I have I have often uh, said and written uh, about the phenomenon that was Watergate, uh, and if you go back to 1974, but you have to precede that and go back to 70, 73 and 74. Uh, what the Washington Post and those two courageous reporters, uh, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, uh, did for journalism was phenomenal. Uh, I mean, they changed the course of history, uh, I mean, without a doubt. There's no question about it. But the bad and the ugly side of that is, uh, as time moved on, the story didn't become Watergate. 
but the story became the two reporters, uh, and and they became the stars of the story. And so what happened in a lot of ways on college campuses, uh, a, a lot of young journalism students and a lot of mass communication majors saw their uh, ticket to stardom, so to speak, was to somehow rattle the cages of, uh, of the bureaucracy, of the existing uh, uh, administration or the existing uh, political uh, position. And so uh, we had investigative reporters uh, that turned community journalism into, into opinionated journalism. Uh, there was a time when, in the newspaper business at least, the news was reserved for the front page and the opinions for the uh, op-ed or the editorial page. But that is no longer the case. And today, we literally need fact-checkers for the fact-checkers. Uh, there, there is no watchdog. Uh, you know, the American public, you would hope and pray, uh, would be the watchdogs, where they would call foul. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is such a, uh, an avalanche, a tsunami, I can't even say the word, of information today that it's hard... Uh, it's hard to decide fact from fiction uh, and fact from exaggeration. So, you know, we're kind of left uh, to our own devices to a large extent. And, and, and that's, uh, that's not necessarily healthy because we don't always come to the right result. You know, one of my favorite interviews, Mike, of, of all time over the years has been my interview with Mike Wallace. And, um, you know, he was one of my favorite people to watch in how he – would just go right at someone and and ask the hard questions and you know if they wouldn't talk to him he he'd you know hide in the corner wait for them to come out and and just you know run right up to them and start asking questions and I, I feel like we don't really have people that are looking for truth uh, as much as as you put it really the stardom or the thing that will make them the household name. Well, and, and that's right, and, and Mike Wallace was a great example. Now, his son Chris Wallace on Fox News today uh, is is more or less following in his father's footsteps. He is a, uh, I think he's an equal, equal opportunity slammer, quite frankly. Uh, but if you look at uh, some of the talking heads on, on all of the networks, uh, if you'll watch it for 30 seconds, uh, unfortunately, and this is tragic, tragic, if you watch it for 30 seconds, you will know where their political position and where their political bias is. Uh, I, you know, there, there was a time, Walter Cronkite's the quintessential example. You know, m- many in this audience today grew up watching Walter Cronkite. And, and I would venture to say that few of us uh, ever knew what his political position was. You just didn't know it was Walter Cronkite. He reported the news. Uh, you accepted his fact, and you went on from there. Uh, it was interesting when he when he became uh, uh, obviously against the war in Vietnam. But up to that point, I mean, you you would not know if he was a Democrat or Republican, independent, liberal, progressive, conservative. You just didn't know. He just reported the news. But I assure you, if you turn on the television today or go to social media, it's it's. The landscape is all the same. But if you turn on the television today and, and watch any of the talking heads, be it on CNN or Fox or MSNBC or any of the alphabet networks, you will know where their political bias is. Uh, they don't even 
attempt to hide it anymore. And so, you know, we often talk of why we have a polarized country right now, why we are almost equally divided along political lines. Well, you need not look any further than the uh, uh, than the mainstream media, uh, mainstream media, because that will that will provide the answer for you right now. Uh, you can watch Fox for 15 minutes and CNN for 15 minutes. And they report the news absolutely the opposite. Uh, of course, what we have right now a lot of times is, you know, we have reporting by omission. It's not that they provide fake news. It's that they simply ignore the news that runs counter to their narrative. And, uh, Mike, we're almost out of time. Uh, there's one question I want to ask, and, and it's got to be a really quick answer. But uh, the last time we had a third-party candidate make a, a legitimate run was Ross Perot. Could this be the year that we see a third-party candidate make a legitimate run for the presidency? I, I would think not. It's too volatile. The time is too short. Uh, I think what you see is what we're going to get, whether we like it or not. <laughs> All right, Mike, thanks for being on the show. We appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. All right, Mike Jensen, always a pleasure talking with him. Always a pleasure having you on with us on the Talk of Sykeston. I'm Glenn Cantrell.